I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Barbara Fagan, author of My American Dream, A Journey from Fascism to Freedom. In July 1940, Barbara was a two-year-old toddler when she fled with her parents from Nazi Germany, uh, risking their lives with only $10.50, the clothes on their backs, and what they could carry, and with no idea where they would settle and how they would make a life for themselves. Over 70 years later, she made an incredible discovery. Her father had kept a journal of their escape from Nazi Germany. Her parents had rarely spoken of their escape and had never mentioned her father's journal, and she remembered nothing of their passage. There had been a gaping hole in her family's history, and her father's journal would help to fill it. She shares a memory of resilience, grit, and grace that starts with the entire text of her father's journal, relating in his own words the terrifying details of the family's escape. Uh, Barbara graduated from uh, Whitman College, earning a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science, and completed a graduate program in business administration run jointly by Harvard Business School and Graduate School. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Barbara. Thank you so much. Well, that's quite a journey, and you've had quite an exciting life. Uh, boy, I recommend this book. It's it's. Uh, it's it's also timely. We're talking, you know, in the context of what's happening now with immigrants and refugees and all of that. So, um, you've, I guess, lived that journey. So, where should we start? I mean, you were two and a half years old when you were forced to leave Berlin, um, and right, and yeah. knew nothing about it. <laughs> so you were, and you had absolutely, yeah, two and a half. You wouldn't, I guess, recall anything. At what point did you begin to remember? Because you sometimes some of those memories do come through when you get to be three, four, five years old. Well, when when we left Berlin, uh, we went on this, this uh, as I know now from my father's journal, we went on this really terrifying, horrific 17-day train trip uh, from Berlin through Lithuania, Russia, including Siberia, China, Korea, and Japan, and then we went on a two-week trip across the Pacific Ocean on a Japanese ship called the Hikawa Maru, and we landed in Seattle. And at that point, my my father had no idea what would become of us, or my mother, and, um, you know, no money, no connections, no nothing, but absolutely thrilled to be in the United States the land of the free. And I think they they felt that one way or another they would make it work. So they were very fortunate that uh, a Quaker organization in Seattle helped my father find a job at the then Sears Roebuck Farm Store in Chehalis, Washington. It's a small town in southwest Washington, uh, a town of 5,000 where my sophisticated Berlin parents settled and, um, you know, I, I grew up in Chehalis, and I certainly remember my life there. Uh, I think that's where I feel my life began, my life in America and my life, because that's, that's what I begin to remember. Uh, we were a very strange little family in Chehalis. This was a town where 
generations of people had lived for, for, for years and years, and there was no one like us in this town, this little refugee family who spoke no English, who had nothing. You know, I wore hand-me-down clothes from very kind neighbors that my mother worked to sort of remodel to fit me, and I was focused on completely focused on becoming an authentic American girl. That's what I wanted more than anything else. And that's all I really thought about. Um, I didn't think about, you know, I, I, I had no knowledge and no thought about the past and about the trip. I was just concerned about going forward and becoming an American. Yeah. So your journey started in America, whereas your parents' journey started way before that, being forced to leave Nazi Germany. And just a little bit of the history, your your mother was Lutheran, right? And so, yes. yeah. Yes. So that made it easier or more difficult to get out of the country. It was complicated for your father to get visas well, for I, all three of you. Yeah. I I think one of the problems was. Um, my father had been in the German Air Force in World War One, and he'd been in an airplane crash, and um, he felt that he had given to Germany, so Germany would always give to him. And he really didn't feel the need to escape until it was very, very late. It was July of 1940 when we left, and before that, um, my mother had a had a very good job. She was an executive assistant to the head of a publishing company. My father was not allowed to work. Uh, he was Jewish. He had he stayed home. He he looked after me. Um, he took me out to play in a churchyard across the street from uh, the apartment that my parents lived in. And there was a yellow bench, as there were, for Jewish people to sit on, and they were to wear their yellow stars. Well, my father wouldn't do that. He wouldn't sit on the bench. He took his chair from his apartment and um, sat on that, uh, really not completely understanding how dangerous this was. So my mother really was the breadwinner for the family. Uh, and finally, my father really understood that we had to get out. And then it was very difficult uh, to get out at that time. He finally got visas for us. Um, I think one of the problems was that my father was Jewish, my mother was Lutheran, and I was sort of nothing, um, you know. So uh, it, it was just very difficult for them, first of all, to get visas, secondly, to get money. German, uh, only American money would be accepted for passage. And finally, they, he, he got passage on an Italian ship across the Atlantic, and just when the time came to go to Italy to take the ship, there was no more traffic across the Atlantic because of the German submarines. So then he had to start all over again, and it was it was very terrifying. It was very difficult to get a sponsor. It was very difficult to get money for passage. He had a sister in New York who sent money for his passage, but not for my mother's or mine. So he had to kind of figure out, you know, how, how was he going to do that? And once again, uh, the Quakers were very helpful, as were um, other religious organizations. So it was a complicated, terrifying, scary time. My mother was afraid to tell her boss that they wanted to escape because she wasn't sure would he tell the Gestapo 
Uh, and finally, she she did tell him, you know, very close to the time that they left, and he was very supportive. So she was very grateful for that because she didn't know, you know, kind of how that would go. So it was a difficult, difficult time. Yeah, it's amazing that when I, you're describing your father and all that, what what he had to navigate to get out of Nazi Germany, the words and maybe I mentioned them in the intro, but resilience and grit and grace and, 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 and timing, I guess, too, right? I mean... And incredible determination. You know, he talks in, in, his, in the text of his, uh, his journal about having to go to Hamburg. You know, he tried to all kinds of things to get visas and to get the appropriate documentation. And he had to go to Hamburg and he talked about the bombs in Hamburg and he had to spend the night in a bomb shelter underground in Hamburg, you know, hoping and praying that he would he would live to the following day when he could get the papers that he needed. The whole thing just sounded so terrifying and it was so sort of stunning and shocking to me that I'd known nothing about this until just a few years ago. Uh, Just stunning to me. I mean, it just told me so much about my parents' character that I'd never even thought about. I was so focused on, on becoming an American myself. I never thought about how courageous they were, how brave, uh, how determined and what perseverance they had. And they just had incredible optimism. And as you said, Catherine, resilience. Because there were there were many downs as as well as a few yeah. ups, but you know they had to keep pushing forward, and so they did. And they they felt you know they, there was no money. As I said, my father came with with ten dollars and fifty cents, and when he finally got this job at Sears Roebuck, it paid seventeen dollars a week. But he and my mother felt that if they lived frugally. Um, they would be able to make a life, and so they did. I'm, you know, as I reflected during the writing of this book, I felt so proud of them. Why do you think they didn't share their stories, or even bits and pieces of the story? Like you said, you had no idea. You just wanted to be an authentic American, and you did become an authentic American. Very. Uh, successful. And I mean, your whole story is, is uh, an incredible story. But anyway, why do you think they didn't share anything or didn't feel they needed to? Well, I, I think probably several things. I mean, I don't fully know the answer to that question, but I think they were focused on moving forward. Uh, you know, they too wanted to become Americans and that's what they were focused on. Uh, you know, they, they, and they had family still in Germany, and they were very worried. My mother had uh, her mother and two sisters, and my father's parents were still there. And, of course, this was wartime, and, and terrible things were happening, particularly to Jews. My, my, uh, my father's parents ultimately were separated and, and each taken to a different concentration camp. And they were murdered in the concentration camps. And they were, they, my parents, um, you know, they were, they were focused on trying to make a life in America. And then my mother had pretty serious health problems as well. And they had to, they had to kind of concentrate on that. So, um, I don't fully know the answer. I think probably part of it is, is that they wanted to, uh, 
uh, and sort of suppress, repress those terrible memories? Uh, I don't really know, but yeah. those are some of my thoughts. And I think sometimes, I don't know if this is true or not, but that is kind of typical or the experiences that I've had with um, uh, my parents' friends who uh, were forced to leave Germany, uh, Austria, um, with the same, not talking about it, not talking about their experience, but like you're saying, want to just, they're in America and that's where they want to be and they want to forget it. Actually, my father was a, a captain in the Navy in World World War II, and he never wanted to talk about it either. He can mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and was born in America, but you know didn't want to talk about his experience as a cap, as a yeah. So uh, that whole generation, I think, was kind of uh, quiet. I guess is the word. I don't know. Um, so let's well, get I back. Think there's such horrible yeah. memories, you know, and, and yeah. I think you know the idea was to move on to something positive and to make a positive life. Uh, you know, and and I know my parents were were determined to do that. I mean, they were focused on could they ever buy a house, and they were so thrilled when they finally had enough money saved that they could buy this tiny little house that I grew up in. And then when my father bought a car, um, he wrote a letter to his parents very early on, and he said, you know, in America... He said, even the shop girls have cars. So he was just so excited when he had enough money. You know, they saved like crazy. And when he had enough money to buy his Studebaker or his Studi, as he called it, um, because that was an important symbol of becoming an authentic American. And at the same time, from a, from a sort of a reality point of view, it was, it was a way to have re- real freedom, real freedom to go where you wanted, to see what you wanted, to, you know, take trips, to take his family around. Um, those were those were things that were really, really important. And, you know, they were focused on on how to make a life for, for their family. And also, uh, you know, making choices. You, you you have choices to make, lots of choices, and they're your choice. You're free to make those choices. But then you made choices that uh, put you in positions of obviously different kinds of challenges, but where you became very successful in the context of a lot of discrimination as a woman and being a very powerful woman. Uh, they described you as the, or one of your chapters, I guess, the mad woman, like after mad men, you were in that business. <laughs> right. business the, yeah. <laughs> many levels of madness. <laughs> yeah, many levels. You've been living a very mad life, I guess, right? Uh, but exciting. <laughs> uh, yes. No, it's been yeah. a great life. Yeah, very been. exciting. Oh, but, you, and, but you are always able, like I'm going back to your father's perseverance and resilience, and you were the same kind of woman. So can we just talk about some of those things? Things that you challenged you um, from sure. the beginning, yeah. Like, uh, well, being, yeah. Go ahead. The, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say I was talking about uh, the uh, career, your career, and you had three children mm-hmm. and a husband and a great marriage, and then things changed. Let's first, you know, when he became ill. So, but what about the business? I mean, because I, you know, you were here. You are in well, a man's world. Yeah. The, the the first the first thing was when I when I uh, was getting ready to graduate from college, there were essentially three options for women 
uh, maybe four. Um, you, we could become teachers, nurses, uh, typists, or we could get married. And you wouldn't do any two of those at the same time. And none of those really interested me um, at that point. And um, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I had always worked, and I loved working, and I loved the idea of business. So I heard about this program that was run by the Harvard Business School. So uh, the first thing to note was that the Harvard Business School did not accept women at that time. They had a separate program that was identical to the program, the MBA program uh, that they had for men, uh, the same classes, the same professors, but it was not taught at the Harvard Business School. It was taught at Radcliffe across the river in Cambridge. So, I mean, I didn't think too much about that. I, I applied to the program. I was accepted. I went to Boston, and it was just the most fabulous, mind-opening experience uh, I, I mean, I'd grown up in a town of 5,000, near nothing. And so here I was in Boston at the Harvard Business School, or a program run by the Harvard Business School, where I was learning and meeting all kinds of interesting people and learning really so much about business. It, it was just great. But just one little anecdote when I was there, we women were known as girls. The men, of course, were called the men at the Harvard Business School. We were called the girls. Um, and we were not allowed to go to any of the classes at the business school, but um, we were invited to, they had wonderful speakers, you know, the sort of the, the titans of business, and we were invited to go to hear the speeches, and there were cocktail parties after the speeches, and then there were dinners for a few select people, a few select men from the business school, the, the honored guest, always hosted by one of the professors from the business school. And lo and behold, I was invited to one of these dinners, and I was so thrilled. So I, I got all dressed up, and I went marching off to the, Har to the Harvard Club in Boston, where the dinner was, went up to the front door, and the doorman said, oh, no, you can't come in here. I said, well, I'm invited to a dinner here. Oh, I'm sorry, this is just for men. I said, well, I'm invited to a dinner here. He said, well, you have to go around to the alley and you go through the kitchen and then you'll be able to get to your dinner. So <laughs> I didn't think too much about that. I was so excited to be at the dinner. I, I did all that. Um, but that was sort of what the world was like in those days. Well, was that, a job, was that a defining moment for you? I mean, here you are. No. No. I mean, no. you know, as I said, I was so excited to be at this dinner with this group of people, I didn't think to have it be a defining moment. You know, only in reflection did I realize what it was, you know. Um, but moving on to my first job, which was at the then Vic Chemical Company, now part of Procter & Gamble, um, I, I wanted to be in marketing. And, um, you know, really the, the major jobs in marketing are, that are career path stepping stones are those with profit and loss responsibilities. Well, women could not get those jobs. Um, it just wasn't possible. So my only way into marketing was through market research. And I was very thrilled to get this job at the chemical company as a market research trainee. And I worked there for a year and you know, always got good feedback about my my uh, performance, and I thought, well, it's time for me to go and talk to my boss about um, 
my career path plan and compensation and so on. So I made an appointment and nervously went in to see him. His name was Tom, very friendly, lanky guy, you know, and I said, very seriously, Tom, you know, I've been here a year. I want to talk to you about my career path. And he sort of stared at me for a moment, and then he just threw his head back and started roaring with laughter. And I said, well, why are you laughing? Well, he said, there is no career path. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, no. He said, they um, get married, have babies, and leave. I said, they who? Women. I said, well, Tom, I went to business school. I do plan to get married. I plan to have babies, but I went to business school. I plan to build a career. Well, he said, Barbara, if that's what you want, you're going to have to leave because we can't give that to you. And so I left and I found my way into the advertising business, which was fabulous. (laughs) It was a fabulous (laughs) move. So just moving on to my, my first agency job, which I, which I loved, um, I was married at this point and and was pregnant, and I thought, gee, it's time for me to go and tell my boss what my plan is. I want to just go Uh, back for one second to the boss who told you there is no career here for you because you are a woman. It's over. It doesn't matter whether you went to business school or not. We don't care. Uh, You didn't let him define you. I always think about that because I think a lot of uh, women or people in that, those kinds of positions do let people like that, you know, do let, let's say this, the head of the company define you and, and mm-hmm. don't go and don't go on and don't say, well, okay, I'm not wanted here, but I'm going on to next. And, um, it's obviously maybe going back to your father, there's something about him that was in you and you were able to do that, uh, because you, you know, certainly no one was supporting you. Or it doesn't sound like there was anybody supporting you. <laughs> Certainly not in my <laughs> not, job. No, no, not at your job. Yeah, exactly. So not in my job. No, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that that, you know, I think my father's life and his and my mother as well. My mother was, you know, kind of a force of nature in my life as well. I, I think their values and their the way they lived their life certainly were models for me, you know, as I went forward. I didn't think about all this consciously, but I'm sure it it just sort of osmosed into me, Um, you know, so, and and I kind of knew that I want, I mean, I clearly knew that I wanted to have a career. That's what it was all about. So, um, you know, I knew what I had to do and I did it. And, and since we only have four minutes left, uh, the audience has to read the book. Um, you went on to get married. I'll just say that and had your three boys, um, but, and had a, a, a wonderful marriage. I mean, it's a, like, you know, you met the right person and then I don't want to say tragedy. I don't know if I should use that word, but, um, well, your life it was changed. certainly a shattering experience. There was the before and after your yes. life. Yeah. Yes. Be- before and after. Yeah with your husband. Um, maybe we should, uh, just, um, not talk about that right now. Tell us what, um, because people do need to know where they can get the book and, um, or, or listen to the book. Can we do that too? Is it on audible? It's not on audible. The, the, um, the launch date for the book is January 16th. 
So it'll be available at um, bookstores, wherever people buy their books. Uh, it can be pre-ordered now. Uh, everyone can learn more by going onto my website, Barbara Sagan, S-E-I-G-I-N, all one word, uh, dot com. And, um, you know, that, that has links to pre-orders as well. So I hope people will read it and I hope they enjoy it. And very importantly, I hope they feel inspired by it. I definitely felt inspired by it. I did get to read it because your PR people sent me the PDF, so I did read it. It is very inspiring. It is inspiring. So um, I recommend the book highly. And I, it, it's qu- yours is quite a story. It, it's a um, boy. There are a lot of chapters in the book, but there are all the chapters of your life. You, you really <laughs> <laughs> had a yeah an exciting journey, I guess one would call it. But anyway, so thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been really um, great to hear you share part of your story. Um, and, well, thank uh, you so much, yeah. Catherine. I really yeah. appreciate having had the chance to talk with you. Yeah, good luck with the book, January 16th, everybody. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 